Two days away from the NFL draft, and it seems like everyone is in consensus. Bryce Young is going to be the pick, but is the window still open for C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson to slip in? I'll tell you right here on Locked On Panthers. You are Locked On Panthers, your daily Carolina Panthers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On Panthers podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, Julian Council, talking Carolina Panthers with you every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Your team every day. That's our motto here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And be sure to follow me, Julian Council, on Twitter at Julian Council, where on Fridays. Not this Friday, though, because I'll be breaking down who the Carolina Panthers take over number one overall in the draft. But typically, answer your weekly Friday mailbag questions either at me or DM me on Twitter, at Julian Council, to participate in next week's edition of the weekly Friday mailbag right here on Locked on Panthers. On today's episode of Locked on Panthers, going to talk to Mike K, the Charlotte Observer, one final time ahead of the 2023 NFL Draft. And Mike and I had a pretty long conversation about what the Carolina Panthers are going to do and if Bryce Young truly is the odds-on favorite and how we got to that point, and whether C.J. Stroud, where there's been a lot of negativity around C.J. Stroud recently, whether he could still find a way to be the guy who ends up being the number one pick for Carolina, how much does the S2 test really matter to the Panthers as far as the evaluation of Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and the rest of these quarterbacks, and what's the priority at 39? I've kind of come around thinking now that edge rusher should, should be with the Carolina Panthers do at 39. So they take an offensive lineman. No swing tackle right now. We also get into uh, some talk about what guys might have lost their positions over the last couple of weeks of free agency leading up to the draft and who could be in danger post-draft of losing out on their roster spot heading into the 2023 season. So a long conversation with Mike, but a good conversation with Mike K of the Charlotte Observer. All that coming up right here in just a moment on Locked on Panthers. But before we get there, are you looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and calories? Then you need the best tasting protein bar ever built. You gotta try this. If you're like me and you want to make healthier snack choices but you don't want to compromise on taste, I've got just the thing for you. Built Bars and Built Puffs. Built Bars are healthy and taste amazing. Seriously, they taste amazing. You don't want to think that they're good for you, but they really are. You got to try this. What makes Built Bars so good for you? Well, for starters, they are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate in every single bar and puff. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and cookies and cream. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste just like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy for you. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait to get a box. For years, I've been telling you about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com, which you can still do. But now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can still get your specialty flavors online at Built.com. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puff. And if you're close to a Sam's Club and a member, run in and grab a 13-bar box of their hit flavors, brownie, batter, puff, and churro puff. You can thank me later. Back here on Locked on Panthers and once again, Mike K at Mike underscore E underscore K with an E 
covers the Carolina Panthers for the Charlotte Observer, your local paper. Make sure to subscribe there. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I mean, we're here. We're It's the week. It's the week that was or will be. So here we are. Have you ever been this tired heading into draft week? Have you ever just been like this mentally drained from having to talk about the same thing for this long? Uh, huh. That's a great question. <laughs> um, no, I mean, look, it, I, I think the limited number of players to talk about in that span. Yes, this is. I've talked enough about CJ Stroud and, and Bryce Young and Will Levis and Anthony Richardson for one lifetime. But here we are. One of them is going to be picked and I'm going to be talking about them, you know, in the Panthers case, hopefully for the next eight years. So, well, well hopefully longer than that. Too. Yeah, yes, well, maybe, hopefully, you know. hopefully to the second contract. And I guess that's kind of how you would deem success for whoever they end up taking number one overall. Now it depends on, you know, your perspective. I, I think if you get to the second contract, uh, that's successful. It means you've got somebody who is worth investing in. And when you look at the contract that Jalen Hurts just got, what Joe Burrow is likely going to get, what Justin Herbert's going to get, that is a successful draft pick, especially at number one. Now with number one, you're going to want this guy to take you to a Super Bowl, to take you to the playoffs consistently. And I do believe with the kind of contract you get, you're probably going to get some sort of success with that quarterback over the next four or five years, really, really much the next three years based on how these contracts have gone. Uh, the last couple of years. Now we'll talk about Bryce Young and CJ Stroud and all those guys. One final time with you before you get to Thursday night in Kansas city, your latest mock draft there on Charlotteobserver.com. You have the Carolina Panthers taking Bryce Young because all the intel that you've gotten is that Bryce Young is going to be that guy. Has anything changed to make you believe that there is still a window of opportunity there for one of the other players that we talked about ad nauseum the last couple of weeks to be that player at number one, instead of Bryce Young. Well, having covered the Eagles for five years, yeah, there's always a window of, of some sort of intrigue. I, I mean, look, I, I think Bryce Young's the guy. I do. I, I okay. truly do believe that he is the guy based on everything that I've heard. Um, I think the tide turned after everybody regrouped from that Pro Day tour, because when I was in Arizona, I still had a pretty good feeling that it was up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um I do think there are people in that building who really love C.J. Stroud. I think there are people in that building who – like Anthony Richardson and, and Will Levis. Like, I, I don't think this is one of those things where this entire class is just limited to one player. And I know, like, originally a lot of us thought that it would be one, two, three quarterback. And a, as it always turns out, that's probably not going to be the case. Yeah. But I do think that this team has, in this organization, has done this process the right way. Whether Bryce Young was their guy to begin with, whether it was a CJ, Bryce, Anthony Richardson combo thing, They've gone about this the right way. And I think when you're critiquing an organization, really you have to critique them on process because you never know what could happen. Bryce Young could get injured. CJ Stroud could, could be surrounded by a ton of talent and and explode. Like there's a lot of variables here, but I think from a process standpoint, the Panthers have done a very good job. And I agree. And Scott Fitter even said last week when all the reporting, I mean, the reporting the last four Mondays has been that Carolina is likes Bryce Young. Now it's gone from, Hey, there's some talk there that Bryce Young might be the favorite to where, okay, Bryce Young is the favorite. Bryce Young is who they're going to take. That's what most people believe now. So it's not surprising that we've seen, I mean, in a way it's maybe surprising, but Scott Fitter came out last week and said, Hey, we're still open to all the other guys that day. They were bringing in Will Levis and CJ Stroud for their top 30 visits. So they could not be completely done and had their mind made up if they had those guys coming in the building. And people can say, oh, it's a smokescreen. 
where you're sitting at number one. And in that same press conference, you're saying, yeah, we're probably not going to trade back from once. I don't think the Panthers really need to hide who they're going to take other than Roger Goodell telling them, hey, can you at least leave some sort of intrigue to when you go on the clock there on Thursday night in Kansas City? So with that, like, I do agree that they have had a good process. They've been patient throughout this entirety of like evaluating these quarterbacks. Now you talk about the tide kind of changed after the pro day visits up in Columbus and Tuscaloosa and following the owners meeting down in Arizona. I've talked to Matt Miller of ESPN. I've talked to Dane Brugler, and I've gotten conflicting kind of information there because Matt Miller said that he was told right before the Panthers traded for number one, the number one pick that they were doing it for CJ Stroud. Whereas Dane Brugler told me that it's always been Bryce Young from what you know, uh, which one is it? <laughs> has it been, was it Stroud originally the young, or has it always been Bryce and they've gained that clarity through the last month and know that Bryce Young is clearly the guy for them. I think they liked both of them. And that's why you've seen a lot of reporting that they were initially trying to trade up to two. Um, look, this happened similarly in 2016 where the Eagles really liked both Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. So after the Rams traded up to number one, they traded to two. So whoever they didn't take, the Eagles were going to take. And I think they've come at it in a similar situation. I do think during this process, Bryce has solidified himself. Um, I think when you look at this picture, right? And you look at the tape, CJ's got great tape, I, in my opinion. I, I, I'm i a big CJ Stroud fan for his tape. But I think yeah. when you look at Bryce Young, he does so many things that are just special. That if you're comfortable with his size, which the Panthers, by all accounts, seem to be, then you take that guy. You take the special guy. You take the guy that you feel like you can have a dynamic run with. And I think... From their perspective, they learn more about the player as this process went on. And I think yeah. that's pretty special. Like if he – it's not that one guy is a better person than the other, but I think if you mm-hmm. gel with a person, you know it. And when you have as big of a caravan tour as they did, I think there's a lot of opinions to take into account. And ultimately, I think after all of the pro days, not just Alabama and Ohio State, after going to Will Levis, after going to Anthony Richardson, I think everybody collectively got together and and kind of talked it out. And I think there was not necessarily a consensus in the room, but I do think the overwhelming majority was impressed by Young, if not the entire room. Frank Reich said at the Combine that, yes, Bryce Young is size. That, that can be a concern, but that's not everything. And he's talked about Anthony Richardson's accuracy and saying how you can fix that. And he's talked about some of the – inefficiencies some of these quarterbacks have and also talk about the positives and the strengths that they have how much concern do you think there is still today for Frank Reich and potentially having a shorter quarterback in Bryce Young well I was talking to Daniel Jeremiah we did a a large conference call with with everybody local national uh, a couple of days ago and he said you know it's his pushback on the typecasting is that Reich's never really had the opportunity to draft an outlier an outlier smaller quarterback he mm-hmm. I know for a fact that he coached Chase Daniel who's under six foot uh when he was in Philly and now Chase Daniel threw one pass he was the backup whatever but the reality of the situation is I don't think he's opposed to somebody smaller i think if you said to him two years ago hey drew Brees is thinking about leaving new orleans would you want him in indianapolis i think he would have signed up for that immediately i i just think look there are coaches do have types there's no question about it and it's very yeah. easy to be typecast in this league i mean look at justin mccray who the panthers signed in free agency he's been everywhere with james campen 
some guys just have their guys, but I think it's unfair to say, hey, Frank, I know you've never picked first overall, but I know you're going to take somebody who's a prototypical size. Now, initially, look, I, I heard reporting that this, there were people on the staff that really like CJ Stroud. I mean, like, it, 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 that's just the reality of the situation. I don't think this was a matter of just typecasting. There was some smoke to that fire. Doesn't mean your mind can't change. Doesn't mean the yeah. situation isn't fluid. And I think actually the best process is to, is to have one that's fluid. And and with that, I'm I'm just wondering too, like with David Tepper, because he's been a part of this process. And they had the largest traveling party I think you've ever seen from pro day to pro day to then the owners' meetings back to the pro days, Anthony Richardson down in Gainesville. How much influence is he gonna have in this process? I would imagine that obviously Frank Reich. Being the head coach, having played the position, he's going to have a lot of a say. Josh McCown, he, he should have much of a say. Thomas Brown, everyone in that building is going to have some sort of opinion. How much of this is going to fall on David Tepper, who has sat here, has watched the quarterback carousel of guys either break down physically like Cam Newton, never have it at all like Sam Darnold, and, you know, just, all right, Teddy Bridgewater, okay, but what are we doing here? How much influence do you think he's going to have in this this situation? I mean, in the war room there, in, the, in this process that's gone on over the last month? Well, as much as I think this is Frank Reich and Scott Fitter's pick, he's going to make his opinion known. They're going to know yeah. who his preference is. And I think, you know, if there's a tiebreaker or there's even a little bit of hesitation, he's going to be the, you know, <laughs> the resolve to that sort of debate. And I think... I think that's what people want to know. Like, if it's... If, Say say Scott Fitterer, who we keep saying, hey, Seattle, they took Russell Wilson, Bryce Young, Russell Wilson, basically the same size. Now, Russell thicker, but either way, we keep making that comparison about a smaller quarterback. Let's say Scott Fitterer was with Bryce. And, you know, we've talked about typecasting just right now, Frank Reich. All right, Reich, CJ Stroud. Like, we're, people are probably wondering, who is the tiebreaker? Because I've been saying, this is David Tepper's pick. This guy spent $2.25 billion liquid, straight cash. And there's no way... He's going to sign up, in my opinion, for the quarterback he does not believe in the most. So in that situation, does it, to you, do you believe it's like, hey, David Tepper, he's the guy who gets a tiebreaker. Not McCown, not Brown, not Parks Frazier, Jim Caldwell, but the guy who's cutting all the checks. Do you ever have a boss who's just like kind of nudging you like, hey, you should probably do this. You should probably do this assignment. You should probably do this assignment. Uh, And then eventually you come around, you're like, Hey, I should do this assignment. I think that's the type of influence David Tepper has. I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to lord over this pick because I don't think that's the type of chemistry and and type of atmosphere he's trying to build here. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think, yeah, <laughs> he's going to have a say. There's literally no way that he does not like if if everybody in the room was like, "Listen, we want this one guy," and David Tepper's like, "No, I want the other guy." I do think that maybe there's like a push and pull there, but I don't think, I think everybody's kind of going to be like-minded on this. Cause I think they know what they're okay. looking for here. Yeah. And I'm not sitting here saying like, we're going to have a Dan Snyder taking over the war room situation mm-hmm. and drafting Dwayne Haskins that plays out here in Carolina. I just have a hard time believing that the quarterback that's going to be speaking to the media on Thursday night is not the number one guy that David Tepper wanted. Like, I do believe like you've reported, multiple people reported that there are people in that building who want CJ Stroud. There's people in that building who want Bryce Young. And I also believe that they're all going to come to a general consensus with the help of the owner and make the right pick. But that guy is certainly, in my opinion, going to be the guy the owner wants the most. Now, we talked about kind of changing tides over the last couple of weeks. And 
I don't know what's going on here. I guess it's the NFL draft and why I hate it, where they decide, hey, let's just completely drag a player through the mud right before the draft. Apparently, that's CJ Stroud. And for whatever reason, I don't know why it's him this year. I haven't. I have a thought of why it's him. Um, but either way, I won't say that right now. But people probably know what I'm saying. Uh, but the S2 testing. Apparently, reportedly, Bob McGinn was on Tyler Dunn's Go Long podcast or whatever it was. And he said that Stroud bombed it. Had like an 18 out of 100. Where Bryce Young reportedly had a 98. Is that, you think, of concern to Carolina? Of who reportedly, especially with David Tepper, is very, you know... They believe in the S2 test. Like, is that maybe something that could differentiate Stroud from Bryce Young over the last couple of weeks? Maybe is that kind of what maybe helped change the tide? I, I think it matters. Sure. I, I think it's part of the puzzle. I think, I mean, I've been told that Tepper is very high on the S2 test. Um, yeah. But that said, we should also point out they're in the 18th and 98th percentile. They're not, it's not like he went in and he got 18 cor- correct out of a hundred. That's Ooh, yeah. Well, pl- so, yeah, please explain it better. Cause honestly, this is like a new criteria that I had never heard about before that all of a sudden is now being used in like every single article. And no one's really explaining what the hell it actually is other than like, it's a cognitive test. It helps with processing. They can, they put up shapes and kind of stuff. I don't even really understand. Cause I mean, I watched the games. I'm like, okay, Bryce Young looks pretty good. CJ Star looks pretty good. It's like, Oh, Hey, this test, it's like the wonderlick. How much can you really apply that to what actually happens on the football field? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's kind of still a mystery to me. I know there's been reporting on it, but it's just like, it seems like there's different avenues of the test. I mean, I look, Here's the thing. The reality of, of it is, is, you know, that old saying, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. I think it's kind of hard to take a, a, a test and apply that to the NFL. Now, historically, I mean, this this test has been around for a little bit, but historically, mm-hmm. guys that have not favored well on the test have not developed into starting quarterbacks. You could also say that there's not enough sample size there. You could also say that maybe the quarterbacks just weren't good. Um, and so yeah. I think, I think it really comes down to the tape. Like I, like I've said, I, I think CJ Stroud's got really good tape. I, 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 I think the Panthers are in a great position to land a franchise quarterback, whether they go with Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. I have not lost confidence in CJ Stroud one iota, but I do think everybody has their opinion, right? And there's 10 to 12 opinions that traveled with this team. And I think, you know, if somebody is very big on the test, they're going to they're going to voice that they're going to say, hey, you know, uh, Bryce did really well. And reportedly, yeah, CJ did not do well. I mean, look, I, I, I think you you have to acknowledge when a guy has not done well or, or has done well. It's the same way with tape. I mean, Will Levis is getting uh, cooked for his turnovers, right? It's the same thing. You're getting data here. And. I mean, maybe not. Which makes, which, that makes way more sense. Okay, the guy turns the football over. Like, okay, obviously, you're seeing that on the film. Like, I can understand that criticism far more than like, oh, hey, he took some tests that no one even really understands. Sure. And apparently didn't score that high. I mean, yes, I agree. They should be weighted differently. But I do think it is worth acknowledging. I mean, it yeah. is a piece of data. Now, to your point, I do think it's kind of unfair the way this has come out, right? And I do think that there are aspects of this draft process where it's just like throwing out 
really negative things. There's negative stuff that everyone hears about every prospect. Yeah. It's just who decides to report it and what they deem is true and discerning the truth. That's part of our jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I do. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of the way this this stuff has been handled with CJ. I, I I think that that's kind of unfair. And and look, ultimately, if you're basing your decision off a test, then that's a problem. Um, I I think the ultimate test is tape, and it's constantly going back. And if you see stuff on a test where cognitively somebody is struggling well then you go back to the tape and you say hey does this show up on tape i think that's the responsible thing to do if you're scouting these players yeah and bruce feldman of the athletic had a really good article uh came out on monday uh, just talking to some coaches anonymously and one coach was saying i watched cj stroud's tape and then i saw the testing i was like i, I didn't really understand because i'm not seeing that on on tape so I, I don't know i just found that interesting because i know it's been something that's brought up in bryce chunk's favor the last couple weeks and there still has not been much of explanation as far as what the S2 test is. And I'm out here offering my own saying I'm ignorant to what exactly this test really is all about and how much it actually means to a player's success. And sure. I've seen like Burrow scored high, but I've not heard the guys who scored high and did not have success. If there is even correlation to that at all. And the guys who have scored low and have had success. Now, I, I don't know. And we'll see how it plays out in the next couple of years, but it feels like this is the first draft process where it's really mattered as much as it has as far as in the conversation leading up to the draft. But also this is the draft process being way too long. And then we get to the situation where a guy gets dinged because somebody who reported this, who is not even on a beat anymore said, Hey, this apparently happened. And we have no idea whether it's true or not, but people take it as fact. All right. Going back to Carolina and getting away from uh, the S2 tests and all that kind of stuff at 39, you, you got the Panthers in your latest mock draft taking an edge rusher. I look at that position, or not even that position, but obviously, yes, they need somebody other than Brian Burns. Frankie Lubin, Marquise Haynes, combined for 12 sacks last year. I don't know if you can bank on that happening again this year. I would bet against it just based off of what they've done in their careers. But that was also Frankie Lubin's first time being a starter. So maybe that's who he will be moving forward. All that being said, it makes sense to get somebody opposite of Brian Burns for the future who truly is an edge rusher, and that's what you want them to do. Corner... You look at week 17, there's an argument to be made that if either Dante, but mainly Jason Warren's healthy, the Panthers could have won that game and they were a playoff team. And then that wide receiver, there's nobody on this roster who you look at right now and know for sure can be, will be long-term here in Carolina. At 39, what should be the priority if we're looking at all those positions being available, players that you would want, and going best player available? Well, I, I think there's two frames of thought here. One, you should strategically be trying to acquire another day two pick, whether that's this year or next year. Yeah. 39 is a spot where you're looking at, like if you can trade down to like 48 or 50 and get an extra third round pick or a second round pick in 2024 to replenish your stock from the trade up, you feel pretty good. Um, this is a spot like once you get to like 40, that's when like the first round grades just completely fall off. Everybody yeah. for, for, from an insider's perspective, there's typically 15 to 20 guys per team that have first round grades. They're all different though. Right. Cause everybody sees something different. That's the joys mm-hmm. of this draft, you know, and the faults of this draft process, but some guys are going to leak into the, the top 30, top 40, and you're going to have that opportunity. So if there's a team that has a need at like, say, cornerback and cam smith is there at 39 
and you feel comfortable with maybe the next three corners on the on on your board, you do feel comfortable trading back. Yeah. I don't think the Panthers should trade back for the sake of trading back, but there's a reason why 39 was a sticking point in the conversations with Chicago. That's an extremely valuable pick. Um, that said, if they stay put, um, I like Ojolari, the pass rusher. Uh, I like um, Keon White from Georgia Tech. Yeah. I don't think they necessarily need a natural outside linebacker type. I think if you can get a really good five technique that you can put opposite Derek Brown, that helps you. And maybe you start Marcus Hayes or Marquise Hayes behind Haynes behind him. Yeah. Um, I think their issue right now is they're going to be a hybrid defense. So you're going to need a guy who can play both outside linebacker and defensive end in an even front. So they're going to have to find a guy who's versatile. I talked to Dan Morgan about this. He said he was giddy about being able to to scout a a true three, four for the first time. But the reality is they're going to, they're going to move around and in base packages, they're going to be like a four, two, five, you know, or, is my math right? Yeah, four two five, uh, four one six. Like Evero is going to use a lot of dime, so y- you've got to be prepared to have guys with hands on the ground. And I think if they can get an edge there, that's great. At wide receiver, this class is not that good. It's a yeah. lot slot talent. Which I mean, they signed Thielen, they just signed uh, Bird, they have Shy Smith. It's going to be really hard to get snaps early in the slot. Thielen can play Z, but you just signed DJ Chark essentially to play that position. If there's like an X type there, maybe you go after him. 93 is really deep in the third round, so you're you're it, it's tough. That's why you you if you trade back and you can get another third, you feel good there because then maybe you nab a, an edge rusher, a corner, and then you go wide receiver, and then what have you, but they have a lot of needs and only six picks. So they really do need to be economical with this. Yeah. And thinking about it too, like looking at the wide receiver class, I mean, if one of those top guys just doesn't fall to 39, like does it even really make all that sense that much sense to take one just right. based on what you said? Cause yeah. Okay. Slot like Josh downs, great slot player. Going to give you a lot more, hopefully in the future than Adam Thielen is probably going to give you in a year or two here in Carolina but he's probably not going to get on the field right away. Like maybe it does make more sense just to kind of like, Hey, if you don't get it at 39, kind of bypass that. And I look at the needs too. And it's better. We talked about it. Edge rushers. The first one he brought up could always use another wide receiver linebacker offensive line. They don't have a swing tackle right now. And you look at the state of the O line, Brady Christensen. I, I saw him this past weekend at the white water center for tuck fest. It still looked like he was a little bit hobbled there after the break, the broken leg he had at the end of the season. Um, but I think he'll probably be fine come uh, week one and come training camp. But uh, looking at Corbett, though, like torn ACL, I'm hard-pressed to believe that he's going to be much of a factor for the team in the first half of the season coming off of that, if, even if he's even available or not. So does McCray go, go in there? Does Cade Mays start there at right guard if they need him to? But who's who's the backup at tackle? If something happens to Cam Irving, not Cam Irving, who's, Cam Irving was not here, but if something happens to Ike Iquanu or to Taylor Bowden, what do they do there? Like, it seems like to me, like swing tackle is kind of sneaky, a big need for the Carolina Panthers going to this draft, just to have some depth more so to have to rely on kind of a veteran piece like they have with Cam Irving. So Cade Mays will start at right guard, most likely. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, they've looked at a lot of guards and a lot of tackles. Uh, I know for a fact they are looking at versatile guys, guys who can play offensive tackle and guard. Because I think what you do is if you feel comfortable with Cade Mays at right guard, you stage a competition at left guard. We know Christensen can play tackle. The loser of that is your swing tackle. You feel like you've upgraded swing tackle. And then whoever wins is your left guard. I mean, left guard's like really the one spot they can afford to kind of move a guy around because Icky is so good. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Christensen played as well as Corbett or really anybody else on the line. I think he was probably, if you had to pick a weak link, I still think he played well, but if you had to pick a weak link, he would be the yeah. guy. Um, but yeah, they've left swing tackle open. And so that what that tells me, and what that tells me after looking at all these guards during this process is like, you <laughs> you're probably going to stage a competition. Like they really like Cade Mays and realistically yeah. when Corbett comes back, Mays is probably the swing inside guy. McCray can play center. So they feel good about that. I think he also knows Camden's okay. system pretty well. He's also kind of built like Bozeman in a way, very similar styles. So really, yeah, like you said, swing tackles tough, but I think you want a guy who can come in and compete for a guard spot and then eventually be the swing tackle. And then when Moten's done, you know, he's getting up there in age, then you move him around. A thing that I really didn't agree with during this process was restructuring Moten and Corbett's contracts. That didn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I've said that on your show. I, I don't mm -hmm. really think that made a lot of sense because now you're basically guaranteeing that Corbett will see through the end of that three-year contract when half yeah. the year he could miss half his second year. Moten um, is getting up there in age, and I just don't really understand what the logic was in, in restructuring him. Um, so I think I, I think they've not necessarily caused themselves a problem, but it does kind of get into a weird mental gymnastics is how you look at this offensive line, at least from the outside looking in. Yeah, I guess it seems like they just wanted to – they had a good O-line for the first time in a long time, and they felt good about – at least Moten, he's not coming off an injury. Like, the, the Corbett one, mm -hmm. uh, that's a concern. And I understand uh, wanting to open up cap space, be able to go out there and fill some of these needs that they had during free agency, but there's also some positions like running back. I looked at, does you really need to go out there and give Miles Sanders all that that kind of money when apparently this is a deep running back class? And, well, you see what the Super Bowl team – had a seventh round running back. Like you, you don't necessarily have need to invest in that. Now, speaking of running back, you got Sanders, you got Chuba Hubbard, I guess Spencer Brown as well. They don't really have that bruising back. Do you, could you see a possibility where they might take one later on in the draft? Or is there someone available still for agency that they might target? Cause I, I feel like short yardage, that's gotta be some kind of position that they're looking at, of like trying to add to at least. I mean, in his, in his offense, at least early on, he really liked guys that played right, like guys that played specific roles. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, look, they could look into uh, post-draft guys that get cut, guys who are on the trade block for, you know, a roll of nickels. Uh, like, they could, they could, they could do that. Um, I think, like, undrafted free agency is normally a good spot to get those two down kind of short yardage running backs. I mean, guard and running back – are probably the two easiest things to get from an undrafted standpoint. Okay. Um, I think when you look at the way that Deontay Foreman was handled, the money that he settled for um, in Chicago, that it's not like a top priority on their list. Um, that said, Chuba Hubbard and, and Miles Sanders have very similar strengths. And so it's going to be interesting to see 
how they parse through this. They really like Raheem Blackshear. Spencer Brown's a guy who I've heard from other coaches that he's got upside. I don't know if that necessarily matters on paper, but yeah, he's a guy who will compete for a spot. I do keep four running backs because this this will be a role heavy thing. Two Staley loves rotations, loves them, and I think you'll see that while Miles Sanders will be treated like a three down back, you'll see stretches where Chuba Hubbard gets you know five carries on a drive and Blackshear gets two or, you know, what have you. So I think, I think they're going to keep an open mind, but with six picks, I don't know if I'm spending that on a running back unless somebody who I really, really like falls. Okay. And last one for you, you talk about guys being available for a role in Nichols, uh, Matt Corral. What does his future kind of look like here in Carolina? Because clearly they're taking quarterback at one. Looks like it's going to be Bryce Young. Uh, Andy Dalton, he was talking about how he can help, Bryce or whoever it is that number one because he's been in that situation and he makes perfect sense to be the guy if he has to start week one or the first couple of weeks like obviously it's gonna be Andy Dalton and Corral is gonna be third on 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 the pecking order now do they carry three quarterbacks that's happened the last couple of years since the pandemic for a lot of teams including Frank Reich up in Indianapolis is Corral someone that you could see the Panthers parting ways with this week in the draft if it makes sense to kind of get another pick there so <laughs> I asked this question almost verbatim. You were a little bit more <laughs> verbose, but I, I, to Scott Fitterer, and he said, "Oh well, he's he, you know he's gained 15 pounds. He he's ready to compete. All that good stuff. That's cool and everything. But you didn't trade all the way up to number one for the rookie to be anything less than the number two on the depth chart. Oh, and then you're also paying Andy Dalton some premium backup money, so he's yeah. probably not going to be anything worse than the backup either. Um, but what I'll say is this: I think that." trading Matt Corral for a loss makes very little sense. So hear, hear me out here. Okay. They traded up an extra pick to get him in the third round last year in a draft class that was not viewed as appealing as this draft class. So that's automatically taking his value. Oh, and then by the way, he didn't throw a meaningful pass last year. He's coming off a Liz Frank foot injury, which sometimes can really hurt you from your mechanics. Oh, and by the way, now he's got one less year on his rookie contract, which is controlled. Oh, and by the way, there's like five to six relatively strong starter to high-level backup prospects in this draft. So it's like, do you want to take a fourth or fifth round pick for a guy who you could bring to camp who you liked a year ago, or at least the previous staff liked a year ago enough to trade up for him? And you're still kind of paying for it, right? Because you don't yeah. have that draft pick in this draft. Um, do you take him to camp? Do you try to push the rookie? Do you try to hold on to him? And if he's good in the in the preseason, you you move him for maybe at a standstill, you know, draw sort of trade. I mean, to me, I don't know if I would rush it here. I mean, I yeah. get it. I get it. If, unless he actually wants out and has asked for a trade, I don't know what the logic would be to worst one if that makes which sense. is actually it would be hilarious if he thinks he's in position to ask for a trade uh really? <laughs> hey just any sort of self-awareness i understand hey not the best situation for you but um everyone claims to be a competitor until they don't want to compete because they know they have no chance now it's not gonna be a competition for him i just look at it best case scenario it's like i mean dalton i think is going to be the backup here the next two years don't don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to keep him here for two years especially with the contract and then after that we're talking about the last year of corral's rookie deal where he'd be the backup quarterback and that's going to be a guy who's probably never played a single important snap in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, so. look, 
I got asked about this. I've got a mailbag coming out Wednesday yeah. where I go into this a little bit further, but like subscribe to charlotteobserver.com, yeah. by the way. Um, but uh, like to me, the two guys that I would keep an eye on, um, Yitar Gross Matos, the plan right now. Yeah. Just from the, <laughs> from the outside looking in is to play him at outside rusher, which to me, he's not a guy who can play in space. He's like six foot five and 265. And while he, he just seems a little too bulky to play outside, he wasn't very fluid from the line to begin with. Um, putting that man in coverage does not seem like a great move, especially in space. Um, to me, he's the guy that makes sense. He's got one year left on his contract. He's only, I think, 26 or 25. He's appealing to a young team that needs pass rushing help from a 4-3 standpoint. To me, he's a true 4-3 in the NFL, at least, excuse me. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think Marquise Haynes is better. And to this point, Marquise Haynes hasn't proven that he can be a three-down edge rusher. So that kind of tells you all you need to know. Um. I also want to see Amari Barno in space because he is a special athlete. And if you're going to draft an edge now, now it's time to be like, look, I'll take a fifth for him. Um, Because you're not going to get the compensatory pick that you probably think you are. Mm -hmm. uh, If you let him walk after one year where he's playing like maybe 15 to 20% of the snaps. So I I think that that's logical. Tommy Tremble's another guy that if they draft a, tight end in the third or fourth round i could see them trying to recoup value there i wouldn't trade him personally but i think he's a guy you know where hayden hurst does a lot of the same things really really well and he's going to be here for at least the next two years which is the rest of trembles contract yeah just reworked in thomas's deal where i think you feel comfortable with his value over the next two years and he can be a legitimate you know 12 personnel specialist as the blocker when's Tommy Tremble going to see the field? And so I think that's one of those things. Like, I really like uh, Stephen Sullivan. Like, I, I really liked him in college. I think he's got a lot yeah. of upside. I know the previous staff really, really liked him. They just couldn't get him on the field. Uh, Gio Ricci is a guy who kind of is similar to Ryan Hewitt, who uh, Frank Reich had in Indy for a couple of years. He played fullback and H-back. So he I can catch too, and he and he's shown him he's shown that ability. And I, that's actually when you speaking of the tight ends, like I've thought about like, hey man, could he? find a way into this mix because he can be a pass catcher. And that's just not what Tommy Trimble's really shown and how many blocking tight ends do you really need? Well, there was a post route that Ricci ran for like a yak game, like a huge yak game. I'm trying to remember what game it was, but I said, wow, I did not know he could run routes like that. I mean, and I, I studied him in co- when he was coming out of college. I did not know he could get downfield the way he did. Um, and look, I, I, I think when we get back to Corral, right. You, you brought up the three quarterbacks. He's competing to make sure that they keep a third quarterback, right? He's kind of in yeah. this awkward situation where he wasn't part of – he was drafted by the previous staff. He didn't play last year, so you don't know what his NFL upside is. He was coming off, you know, being a third-round pick in kind of a mediocre quarterback class. He's He was drafted low enough that you're like, well, we could cut our losses or, or you know, we could trade him whatever – He's also in a position where the ideal trade landing spots for him would probably be Atlanta and Tampa Bay, where he could compete with another guy who is a former day two pick who mm-hmm. doesn't have like a ton of, you know, merit to him. Well, I mean, I guess Heineke and, and Mayfield are both there, but like from the standpoint of like, you want to work your way up the roster, 
yikes, man. Like it, it's tough. Yeah. Like and, and Tampa and Atlanta just passed on him last year in favor right. of these other guys. Or I mean, well, I guess not Kyle Trask, but uh, I mean, well, at least Ritter in Atlanta. Right. I mean, look, I, I think, you know, if you were saying to yourself, like Cleveland makes sense, maybe he can be the backup to Deshaun Watson or, you know, because really Josh Dobbs is the only guy in his way. Or if the Titans miss out on a quarterback or the Texans miss out on a quarterback and they want to stage kind of like a, a weird, boring QB competition between, you know, Malik Willis and, and Matt Corral or, or uh, who did I say the Houston or Davis Mills and him like yeah. I, I don't know. It's going to be tough for him to kind of find, have a soft landing here because you have a guy in Andy Dalton who's going to take up the bulk of his contract. He'll have one year left on his contract when Dalton becomes a free agent. Maybe you say to the Packers, hey, look, I know you got love there. If you want a backstop here for a cheap price, here's Matt Corral, who a lot of people believed in, you know? That's tough. That's tough for him. Uh, wide receivers, are we, are, you think that all the guys that are here in town, everyone's probably kind of secure. I mean, I, I think about you yeah, add in Demir Bird, like what's Shai Smith standing here, Chenault going into the final year. I, I mean, what did he really show? I mean, the two big plays he made was just hellacious defense, in my opinion. Like, he made the guys miss, but it's just like, guys, if you really looked at it, like what kind of angles are we taking here in New Orleans and Atlanta? Like, what's going on? They really like – LaVisca's versatility uh the previous staff just never opened up his route tree like the guy yeah I mean you know we make I made a joke the last time I was on this podcast where like CJ Stroud played uh beyond beyond the line of scrimmage is lava I mean well that's what LaVisca LaVisca (laughs) pretty much yeah I mean I think he ran like three like true tree routes last year um and so I think they want to open things up. If you look at the way Paris Campbell was kind of used a little bit last year where he was out in the backfield. I mean, they're different. They're built differently, but I actually think LaVisca's better, better fit for getting handoffs and moving around. And maybe that's why they feel good about running back. Maybe they think he can be Cordero Patterson in a way. Like he has been compared to that guy in, in, in certain aspects. Uh, he was, he was going to probably get carries last year. It just never kind of popped up. And so I think he's safe. Because he's a guy that, you know, you're going to keep four or five wide receivers active and you're going to keep three to three to four running backs active. And he allows you to kind of cheat in the numbers game. Okay. It's the same thing with having a versatile offensive lineman as your six offensive lineman like Cade Mays. Cade Mays allowed you to, to only keep seven. Shy Smith's in trouble. Uh, because if, if yeah. Bird and anyone from this draft class are here, like it's hard to see him making this roster from the slot position because Thielen's probably going to get about an 80% share in the slot. Um, And look, I think Terrace Marshall showed that he can do some things as a big target in the slot. You're also going to run a lot of 11 personnel with Hayden Hurst essentially being that slot receiver. So to me, it's really tough to understand where Shai Smith, you know, fits here when they signed Amari bird, I was like, well, there goes the returner game because I mean, you know, Bird and with Blackshear too. Yeah, Blackshear's a guy they the the front office seems to like a lot. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, look, it's tough. I I, I mean, I don't think Shy Smith is not an NFL wide receiver, but when your slot guy who can't play outside is your fifth or sixth guy, that's tough. Um, so he's gonna have to win a returner spot to probably make this roster, um, or there's gonna have to be an injury. He's I think that that if you did a winners and losers of the off season, I think Corral and 
Shai Smith from the outside looking in, and maybe even Tommy Tremble. Those are the three guys that I'm like, well, if I'm them, this competition's going to be legitimate. Like you, you're going to have to hold on tight, and and I don't think local ties are going to really help Shai Smith this time around. No, um, very. I mean, Demir Bird already has that. Right, He's exactly. Here before any play at the same school. Yeah, it's South Carolina on South Carolina crime there, but in the slot, nonetheless. Yeah. But uh, listen, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. This team's got 63 players on, on under contracts. They've got six draft picks. Sam Franklin's yet to sign his restricted tender. So you're looking at 70 spots taken accounted for as of right now. That's going to be 20 undrafted free agents or maybe like 15 undrafted free agents, and then you look in veteran free agency. But – like there's a lot that can happen. This roster is only like a two thirds of the way complete. And so I'm interested to see how this all shakes out. I mean, you know, every year after the draft, there are guys that are dropped and it's hard to predict that with this team, especially because they have so many openings, but you know, maybe shy Smith's a guy that, that they can trade for a seventh round pick. You know, if somebody missed out on a slot rock, receiver in this draft they probably fell asleep for the first six rounds but you know maybe that's maybe that's the thing i mean i feel like there's like 25 slot receivers in this draft class no, it, it's it's crazy how many there are and, and that right there the conversation we just had here to end up the sh- end the show that's kind of what i'm looking forward to once we get past the draft because we spend so much time focusing on hey what are you gonna do at one what are you gonna do um potentially at 39 like what, what's the priority there okay well how about you know the winners and losers of the offseason like i was when i saw they signed demir bird I was like okay who lost their job because they didn't bring demir bird in here probably not to make this roster especially knowing that a lot of the holdovers they've already brought in guys who are going to be ahead of them in the wide receiver depth chart and in that room so who lost their job so excited to see kind of how this roster is fluid throughout the rest of the offseason of course heading down to training camp which i still think is in spartanburg i don't even know because I went to practice facility, like I guess they're still going to be down at Wofford. What um you got coming on, going on the rest of the week? Because I imagine you'll be in Kansas City, not uh, covering the draft of the Observer. No, I won't be. But uh, no, oh no. Okay, good. So a little inside information for a beat writer perspective: being in the bowels of the stadium is much more beneficial because you get the the execs, you get all that stuff. Plus, you get to watch the draft in like a legit way. Um, but what I will say is this, look, I've done a lot of stuff. If you're if you're not just Panthers fans and you're fans of local players and, and kids that went to your high school, um, I've got a, a, a really long feature on Garrett Wilson coming out. He went to Hickory Ridge. I've got a long feature on uh, Javon Gwynn from, uh, from South Carolina. Uh, he's from Harding University. Um, we've done some Nick, stuff on Nick Saldaviri. He's from Monroe, like. We're trying to, this isn't just about the Panthers, it's about everybody. So we got those big features. I've got that mailbag coming out on Wednesday. Um, I'll be doing a story on CJ Stroud versus Bryce Young, kind of breaking down the pros and cons. And look, throughout the the draft is my show. I I don't mean to toot my own horn here, but we're going to have a (laughs) lot of great coverage throughout the weekend. And I hope you guys sign up. I believe it's still one one dollar for one month on the observer so come on and join the fun um we'll be doing mailbags probably throughout and we'll do best available we'll do team needs so you'll you'll be informed throughout the process i I think we've got like 40 stories uh on the docket over the next several days love it well go subscribe it's a dollar for the next month uh, according to mike k follow on twitter at mike underscore e underscore k k a y e that's how you spell his last name but i'm sure you guys already do that does a great job for the charlotte observer and he's got you covered with the nfl draft and 
So do we here on Locked On Panthers. But as always, thank you, Mike, for coming on here on the show and uh, breaking down what's going on with this crazy team we have here in Charlotte. Always a fun time. All right, we'll take a quick pause and wrap up the show when we come back here on Locked On Panthers. Great conversation there with Mike K, the Charlotte Observer. Again, follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore E underscore K-A-Y-E. That's how you spell his last name. Really good insight to how the Carolina Panthers got to the conclusion, I guess, that Bryce Young is going to be their starting quarterback, or at least he's going to be the guy they're going to take on number one overall, but eventually will be the starting quarterback. And also how much the S2 test means to them, what kind of role. David Tepper is going to play here uh, throughout the process, how, what kind of role he's played throughout the process, what he's going to play over the next couple of days as the Carolina Panthers head to Kansas City. And I guess they won't be in Kansas City, but they'll be here in Charlotte. But as they prepare for the draft there in Kansas City and try to figure out who they want to take at number one, and also some good insight at the end um, about who could have lost their job based off of some of the signings and who could be drafted here, could be losing their, could be costing someone their job here in Carolina. All right, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Lockdown Panthers podcast, a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, hosted by yours truly, Julian Council. Check us out Monday through Friday. Subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And follow me on Twitter at Julian Council, where on Fridays, typically, I answer your weekly Friday mailbag questions. No mailbag this week because we'll be talking about the NFL draft, but we'll be back next week. So at me or DM me on Twitter at Julian Council. In the meantime, be safe, be happy, be whole. As always, keep pounding. And I'll talk to y'all on Thursday with my final thoughts heading into the NFL Draft.